This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers, helping you prioritize your health, happiness, and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds-Keen, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second, and you are allowed to look after you. This episode of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast is brought to you by the 30 Days of Self-Care Challenge, a workbook and private podcast audio course. Are you ready to build a daily self-care habit? The 30 Days of Self-Care Challenge contains 30 days of self-care prompts for tired, depleted teachers to refill their tanks and cultivate a daily well-being ritual. In the program, you will get a calendar of self-care prompts and a workbook, as well as a private podcast audio course that will arrive in your podcatchers. And there's also a transcript of the audio for those who like to read as well. In just 15 minutes per day, you can create a new self-care practice that supports your well-being as a person first and a teacher second, because you are so worthy of your own care. Find out more at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash challenge. In this episode of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, I have a really interesting conversation with Gail Swift from Plans to Prosper Coaching. Gail is an educational guide and Colby Index consultant who works with schools and teachers in the United States on bringing out their best when everyone is free to be themselves. Just before I get to the interview, I want to let you know uh, that now is a really great time to put your name down on the waiting list to work with me when I come back from maternity leave in 2022. If you have been thinking about working with me or if you've worked with me in the past and you know you want to work with me again uh, next year, I will only be coming back from maternity leave, you know, very part-time initially. So there are definitely limited spots available and being on the waiting list is the best way because that's the best way you get first in best dress, right? So there's a waiting list for my one-on-one coaching services and also for the Resilient Teacher Group Coaching Program, which I'll be running another round of in term one and two this year. And everyone on the waiting list will be notified first when spots open up in my calendar. I'll pop some links in the description below. There is also a waiting list for the School Wellbeing Champions uh, as well. So in 2020 and 2021, I have been running a number of meetups and workshops for School Wellbeing Champions who are the amazing educators and staff members who drive wellbeing initiatives from the ground up in schools. And I'm really seeing this as an area of growth in our schools in, you know, 2021, 2022. I'm predicting that this will continue to grow, that, you know, schools are finally on board with this message of wellbeing, not just for the students, but for the adults in the schools as well. So, In 2022, I plan to run some more of those meetups and workshops like I've done in the past, and there will be options for both PD, so professional development relating to wellbeing initiatives that you can run in your school without needing an external consultant, and opportunities for networking, connecting, and learning from wellbeing champions in other schools around Australia so that you can really, you know, we can all learn together and connect with like-minded people too. So if that sounds like you, if you are the well-being person in your school, or if you're not, but you want to be in 2022, then pop your name on the interest list 
over at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash wellbeing champions. And of course, again, the link will be in the show notes and the description of your podcast app. So you can just swipe up and click away right now, pop your email address in. It's all no obligation, but it's just so that you get notified first and you make sure you don't miss out on that information when those events are happening. And again, also with my coaching and my resilient teacher program, because yeah, spots will be limited, particularly in the first half of 2022. So onto this episode with Gail. Gail shares with us about something called conation, which uh, the dictionary says is the mental faculty of purpose, desire, or will to perform an action. And Gail, so she explains how this is different to cognition and it's also different from personality, but how all three of these are needed. Obviously, you know, we all have all three and all are needed. And Gail and I talk about how this plays out in both classrooms and staff rooms and how understanding our ways of working can really help us get along better, which I think is something that we all want in our schools and, as we know, can be a challenge sometimes. Gail shares some advice for school leaders who are trying to motivate disengaged staff, and we have a really great chat about being intentional and rethinking the way we approach staff meetings to make them more effective and efficient and engaging, which I think, you know, I'm sure is something we all want because we know that the way the way we get along, you know, with our colleagues and the way our the school organization is run absolutely has an impact on our well-being too. And ultimately, this episode is about closing the distances between us as people and building understanding and learning to get along better in our families and our teams and our communities. And I really, really hope you enjoy this conversation with Gail. Hello, Gail. Welcome to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. Thank you, Ellen. It's a pleasure to be here today. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you. I'm so excited about this conversation. I'm really intrigued and I can't wait to learn from you. So uh, you are an educational guide and you work with schools and teachers. Tell us a little bit about what you do. I do indeed work with schools and teachers, and I love bringing out how they work when free to be themselves. It is a, it's a test that is performed. It's called the Colby test, K-O-L-B-E. And when students and teachers know their pattern for taking action that is innate It does not change over time. It makes learning and the energy and getting along a lot easier. Which is what we all want, right? And, um, you know, there there is a lot of energy that it takes just to get along with each other, you know, little kids and grownups alike. So I think this is a really great topic for, especially for teachers to understand themselves first and foremost, and the people that they work with. And then, of course, to take it into the classroom. So I know there's something called conation. Tell us about that. Conation has been around since Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates. It is actually, it's just instincts. Their instincts on their own are a subconscious force. The conative part of the mind is called the third part of the mind. It was phrased the moral compass many, many years ago. And so Kathy Colby has brought out the word conation with her test because it is testing the conative part of the mind, the third part of the mind. And so instincts on their own are a subconscious force. They can't be tested. They just sit there. It's only when they are ignited and forced into having to decide what to do when there is a problem that you can measure them. 
And so her 36 question forced choice assessment. And what I mean by that, Ellen, is there is a most likely and a least likely with every question that puts you into a state of having to decide what to do to solve a problem that ignites your instincts. And when your instincts are ignited, you get a four digit number or your pattern for taking action. Okay. So then that, that forced scenario situation, you know, like that each question is a scenario and we have to consider what we would do in that situation. And that kind of uncovers our instincts. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. And how does this apply in, in an educational sense? Well, first of all, the teachers, the principal, I mean, the administration is tested. Usually I work with maybe four or five teachers at a time, like the math section or the English section, and the teachers are tested and then the kids are tested in each of their classrooms. So they may have three to five rotating classrooms and I'll meet with the teachers and I'll say, I'll pick out your top two to three troublemakers, and I will give you solid tips and tricks on what to do. And they're like, well, how would you know that? And I know that because when there is a big difference with how people take action, there is usually stress or tension that goes with it. It is true that birds of a feather flock together and teachers have a way of working that is about 70% of teachers have a particular way of working. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yep, absolutely. 70 to 75% of teachers have a certain way of working. And if you have a student that works the opposite of those teachers, then there could be some trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So the style, like the the style of the way they work is clashing because it's not, it's not aligned. It's not aligned. It's not, and it has nothing to do with smarts. So this isn't a cognitive assessment and it's not a personality profile. Yeah. Well, that was going to be my question is what, how is it different to personality profiling? Right. So cognition of course is IQ and your reason, your logic, how long you've been around and then personality. We all know what that is. And so how this is different is within the personality, you have the motivation. So you have motivation to get up off the couch and do something. How you do that thing that you do, that's conation. So I'll give you an example. My family, myself, when I get up off the couch, I'm going to brainstorm and I'm going to talk to like 10 people or look up things very quickly to get information to see about ideas. And after that, I'll fact check and make sure it's a viable option. But I first will use a lot of ideas. My husband, on the other hand, does not operate that way. When he gets up off the couch, he'll go to Consumer Reports He'll go to Wikipedia. He'll start looking things up to verify that this is a legitimate road he wants to go down. He'll start doing the research on things. And that isn't the way that I work. It just means it's different. It doesn't mean it's good or bad. And understanding that means you can, you know, you understand yourself for one and, and how you work best almost naturally. And then you also can understand him. So you're not getting into disagreements as much because you're kind of coming at it from understanding each other's perspective. Oh, Ellen, so true. The dishwasher broke a couple of months ago and I said, hey, let's just get a top of the line, whatever brand name I said, and we'll be done with it in like five minutes. And he said, well, let's let's look at the reviews and see what Consumer Reports says. And I'm like, I'm bored. 
get it, you know, whatever you want to do. <laughs> and, the, and then in college, we dated in college, and this is just classic example. I would ask so many questions so fast, rapid fire questions. And there was a phrase that he said, Ellen, all the time, he would say, it depends. And I would say, this is where the judgment comes in. So remember, this could be where judgment comes in in a classroom. So I judged that and I would say, what does it depend on? I don't understand. Why can't you make a decision, right? So I'm taking a gift and I'm turning it into a bad thing because he needs more time to decide. At the time, I didn't know that. And you were judging it from the way you would do it. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. I can absolutely see how understanding this, well, would be really helpful in the classroom, but also the way I'm thinking is really helpful with teaching teams, um, you know, in, within schools, the adults who work in schools. And also understanding ourselves is such a fundamental part of well-being because it helps us understand why we do the things that we do and the way we do them. And that hopefully can, you know, take some judgment, just some self-judgment out so that we're not beating ourselves up for for just being who we are and comparing ourselves to the people next to us, but also getting along with each other. And because that is such a huge part of, you know, working in schools is getting along with the other adults in the school. Have you got any examples of how you've seen this, this play out, you know, in school administrations with working with their teaching teams, working with colleagues, that sort of thing? Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Yes, absolutely. So with science teams or math teams, yeah, there is a, there is a group, there are teams of teachers that get together. And when they know how they operate cognitively, when they know their MO or modus operandi, then they can, they have a looking glass into what that teacher needs to make their best decision. For example, if you have someone just coming up with a ton of ideas all the time, and then other people are like, wow, okay, how are we going to justify that? How are we going to verify that? So there are people Ellen, there are four modes of behavior. There are people that need a lot of information. And then there are people that need a lot of data and charts and graphs and calendars. And then there are people that brainstorm. And then there are people, maybe a science teacher, that needs to get their hands on the environment. It's a physical thing that they need to do. And so when you know someone's MO in a team meeting... If you have four people in that meeting or six people in that meeting that are all like yourself, you're very unlikely to come to a decision because you're going to have cognitive cloning and you're going to go around and around in a circle and not come up with a decision. The best kind of team takes all of the modes into consideration and it's actually a perfect bell curve on a 12 square grid I'm thinking of in my head. So it takes different kinds of people to come to the table to make the best decision for a team. Does that make sense? Yeah, that that's really interesting because I would have assumed it was the other way around, that actually if you had everyone like you in the room, then you would just all come. You may not get the breadth of thinking, but you would all come to a decision quickly because you kind of would all think the same. But actually what you're saying is it's the other way around. Yes. Interesting. So how do teachers figure this out? <laughs> they figure it out. If I work with a school then they know it's there. And then, so if the math department has this, but then if they have teams, then it kind of permeates throughout the school and they'll bring me in for workshops, video, in-person, doesn't matter. And then I help the teams collaborate. I help figure out how they work 
and then work together synergistically throughout the year. Mm. Yeah. And what would be your advice to, uh, you know, maybe just right at the beginning of the journey, just starting to think about, well, we need some team building or we, you know, we need some, some support with this. What would be your advice even in that before schools decide to work with somebody like you, what would their first step be? If they ever have a thought like this, if he would just, if she would just, if they would just, that puts you into when you have that mindset, that is arrogance because you believe that your way of working is the best way of working. And there's an efficacy score that goes with what I do. So I'll, I'm able to see if people believe that they have value and that others have value as well. So it's so important to know that even though you think your way of working is best, it is for you, not for everyone else on your team. And when there's respect for the way that other people work and you begin to see value and the they and other people kind of that, I would say that crust kind of starts to crumble and shave off and melt down a little bit when you realize that there are other talented people in your group and utilizing those people for their talents is the sweet spot. Mm, I love that. There are other talented people in the group because it's so easy to get stuck, isn't it? When you know, there's always going to be things we don't agree on. There's always going to be challenges that we face as either smaller staff teams or the whole school. And it's it can be really easy to fall into that us and them thinking and feeling like we're right, they're wrong, or that person's the problem. And it really is about coming back to that that piece that we're different and there's, you know, different skills, different talents that we need to be able to solve these problems together. Yes. Similar to a classroom, when the kids recognize and they know how their fellow peers work, then they start to rely on each other for their innate talents of the details or the planning or the brainstorming or the building. And they start to look at each other through that lens, as opposed to a race, a sex, a gym shoe, a gene thing. It has nothing to do with that because everyone has something to bring to the table. Similar in a teacher team, everyone has something of value. So when you put the onus on that person that's in their lane, for example, Ellen, if you are into the details, then I would ask you to do the background check. How many other schools have done this? Is this a viable option? Has it worked before? Go. If someone else is a brainstormer, I'm going to be like, okay, I need 10 minutes from you, Gail, to think of all the ideas that we're not thinking of. Go. Does this make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So we're actually utilizing people's strengths. Absolutely. I call that going with the grain instead of against it. Oh, yeah. And I talk about that quite a lot with individual well-being when I'm coaching clients about like we often compare ourselves to, well, I, you know, I'm trying to do it the way this other teacher in my school is doing it, or I'm trying to do it the way my my friend or my husband is suggesting, you know, trying to look after myself in these ways. It's just not working for me. And I, you know, there's something wrong with me. And it's actually about going, well, no, it's you're trying to work against yourself. Not to say that, you know, we all have weaknesses that we can work on and we all have areas that might not come naturally that we, you know, we have to do because that's life. But yeah, working with ourselves instead of against ourselves, like if there's that opportunity, why not? Exactly. And this 
this part of you you're born with and you're going to die with it. It does not change over time. It is not hereditary. It's not from your parents. It's your individual blueprint of how you solve problems. Yeah. So it's about that problem solving and that approach to challenge, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and that brings up a good point. We were talking earlier about motivation and the difference with the personality and conation. So the personality is the what and the conation is the how. But Ellen, you can't have one without the other because all three parts of the mind are used, right? So what happens is when the student or the teacher and the principal, whoever is motivated at the school, you will see them work. But if they're not motivated, you won't see their conation. You won't see their number show up. You won't see their pattern for taking action because there isn't motivation. That is the key ingredient. So other things I've seen at team meetings is the teacher in the corner kind of with the arms crossed because they have a family issue at home that their focus is at home. And if they're not involved or engaged, then you won't see any productivity at that point. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, we absolutely know that about the classroom. We absolutely know if the students are not actually engaged in the lesson that, you know, it's an uphill battle from there. We know that, but we don't always think about that, about the grownups in the school, about the adults. You know, we just think, oh, well, you're here to work, so show up. But but that motivation piece and that engagement piece is really important. Do you have any advice for school leaders, administrators who are trying to motivate those teachers who are who are maybe not motivated or who are disengaged? Yeah. And I would ask. So I would ask. So this has happened. So teachers are done at the end of the day, which is usually when they have meetings. Yeah, that's right. And I'm just like, come on guys. Like, no, like let's do this. It's kind of like a date with your husband. You got to get out of the house. You just, so another time. So people are fresh. Usually if you're a night owl, then you're fresh late obviously, but if you're a morning person, so I asked the team, I said, when do you guys have the most energy? Because I'll tell you this, if we work for an hour, when you have the most energy, we're going to get it all done versus an hour and a half or two hours after school when you have nothing left to give. So they're like, okay, great. We can bang this out like Saturday morning at 10 AM or whatever the case may be. And it'll, and I say 45 minutes, we'll get it done. And it happens because they have energy and they're engaged. So we had to agree on a time where they would be engaged or before school or during a study hall. But it seems like the worst time to meet for teachers is at the end of the day. Which is when all the meetings, you're right. That's absolutely the kind of standard meeting time. (laughs) Right. Right. And it's hard. It's like getting, it's like you're squeezing and it's just hard to be engaged after a day when they're just done and spent and yeah. Yeah. So what if, uh, and this is a sort of a a follow-up to that, what if that is the only time for whatever reason, that is the only time we can have the meeting and everyone is exhausted. Is there something that we can kind of incorporate, whether it's the conation piece or something else to still get the best out of that time? So yes, yes. And I would say brevity. Yeah. Not always, not always school administrators' strengths. True. <laughs> true. That's true. However, if the person running the meeting has tasks that everyone was assigned to do, then that person's on a clock. They can be on a clock to give a report for a minute or two on their findings. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brevity. So we we actually we have to be intentional about that. So we actually have to say somebody's timekeeper. This is how long you've got to give us your update or give us the report on that to actually make sure that it you know is a priority that it, we can keep to the time here, rather than things going you know longer and longer and longer. Right, because I'd rather have two minutes of specificity with your task than 20 minutes of your opinions. Yeah. That I know that sounds it's hard. It's hard to do. Mm. But it's worth it from what like from what you're saying is you're going to get the best out of people that way, which is what we want. Yep. And also there isn't I mean there isn't a lot left. So you need to use your time really very wisely and yeah, I know that does that doesn't happen a lot. I get looked at like I have four heads quite a bit. Like Yeah, but do you know what? Then we also like then there's often the meeting after the meeting where you know people are standing in the car park having a having a whinge saying, Well, that meeting could have been an email. <laughs> you know? Like right. we I think we can be intentional about this. And obviously it's not always within individual staff's control, but you know, if there is a way to feed that back or if there's any school leaders listening <laughs> to make our meetings more effective and more efficient and actually engaging and to get the best out of people, I think it's worth looking at. So it is, so very briefly, it's what was covered in the previous meeting. This is from the moderator. Then they're, what they're bringing to the table, each of the teams, the team leads or the people on the team. And then what are the steps moving forward? And when are you going to meet again? Invariably, one of those teachers is called away for a student issue, like almost 90% of the time, right? So they can't be there. And they are, they're then required to get their portion in by the end of business. So that's, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's about having those guidelines and being really intentional about it. Yeah. So do you have any other examples of how working with teams or working with teachers individually, how they've used their understanding of their, is it a Colby score? Is that what we call it? It is. It is. It's called K-O-L-B-E. Yep. It's called an MO. Yep. And examples of how they've used it to basically improve their work and their life. When teachers know their MO, then they realize like, oh, or that's why these students have been giving me a rash for so long, or like it all makes sense, right? Because then everyone knows everyone's MO and the teacher's placard is up at their desk. So when the kids find out their MOs, they go right up to the teacher's desk to look at hers and then they see theirs. They're like, oh, okay, there's a similarity or there's a difference. And so when the teacher knows that, about him or herself, things make sense. And they also amazingly recognize that sometimes things don't make sense to others. That distance is actually an understanding. So where there was initially distance, now there's understanding. And the understanding comes in the shape of changing a voice, slowing it down, showing instead of reading or writing, giving some allowances and other ways of looking at things because this isn't a smart issue. Because the student works differently than the teacher, it does not mean that student is less than. So I've seen grace all the time, not all the time, but most of the time when the teachers and I pick out the two or three and I sit down and I I very clearly say we we go through a plan about what to do and 
honestly, Ellen, the teachers that want to do it, do it. I don't force it on anybody. If the teachers say, Gail, I don't have time. I'm like, okay, I'll get it in an email and send it to you, but this will save your energy. And it does. As a matter of fact, so much so that teachers have wanted to write dissertations and papers for their graduate programs, the difference in the classroom that Conation has made. Yeah, that's cool because, you know, there's always too much to do and and energy is, you know, the emotional energy, the cognitive energy, the physical energy is always in short supply for teachers. You know, like we talk about being time poor, but actually I think teachers are really energy poor oftentimes. So if there's a way that we can save a bit of that energy, I'm curious to know, you sort of said like a lot of the times teachers are about 70% sort of similar way of working. Is that, do you think, because there's a certain way of working that the education system really values and really kind of promotes? How does that play out? Like, is it because teachers have had success in the education system because their way of working that comes naturally to them breeds the success? And so then they're attracted to the role? Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. Generally speaking, teachers have a need for details. They need to have a need for details. And then the second mode of behavior is the systems and organization, and they need to have systems and organization. And then I'm thinking of the grid in the green is risk and uncertainty. So they have a need to stabilize and minimize risk. Not a lot of surprises right in a classroom. And then the last mode is your need for hands-on. And generally they have a need to envision. They can envision how something's going to look. They don't need to physically touch and be there and make sure every desk isn't wobbly and it's sturdy, things like that. So that's the 70%. So if you have a student that doesn't have a need for the details, like at all, to make their best decision or doesn't have a need for a plan, and they have a need to brainstorm and they have a need to get their hands on things, that's the exact opposite of a teacher. They are overlabeled as ADD, ADHD when it really might be a cognitive difference. Yeah. And I'm thinking too, you know, the teachers that maybe feel like they're square pegs in a round hole, like they're not kind of fitting in because they're in that 30% that doesn't fit with the kind of the way most teachers naturally kind of drawn to the role and they're they're drawn to the role for different reasons. And the education system, you know, the, the expectations, the requirements of the job are expecting something from them that's not their natural way of working. Yes. What would your advice be to that teacher who feels like, well, it's not my natural way of working, but, you know, there's some parts of this that I just have to do because that's what the job is, you know, <laughs> what would you say to them? And I, this is complete generalizing to Ellen. I, I mean, just I, the same thing I would say to the same thing I said, said to a student this morning, I said, you have a, you have a gift in front of you. You have the knowledge of how you work naturally when free to be yourself. And as you said at the beginning, there are always going to be things we have to do that we don't want to do, but now you get to do them your way. So to this particular student, his best way of working is to set a timer and to do things he doesn't want to do as fast as possible. Yeah. Yeah. To do it to a song, to skip to it. I even so much as said, because he tunes out a lot. So I said, 
when you see a teacher, like draw that teacher, make a caricature, make a meme, make a song, like, because at least you're paying attention, but not necessarily all the way. It's like a middle ground. So for the the teacher that's different, you need to fight for that. You have to fight for the way you do things because when you try and put yourself and bend yourself into something you're not, you're going to be stressed out, burned out, and then you're going to leave and the kids are going to miss you. Yeah, absolutely. They will. So you also said, Ellen, self-awareness is imperative and it is because when you know how you work and you know yourself, you're going to know what stresses you out. You're going to know if surprises stress you out. You're going to know if little information stresses you out. You're going to know if chaos stresses you out. And you're also going to know what to do about it as well. Yeah. And so that because we can't avoid those situations that might stress us out, but we can then respond instead of just being stuck in those situations. Right. Focus on what is staying the same to the, if if I'm speaking to the general 70% population of teachers and there's chaos, Focus on what is staying the same, even though it might be a chaotic time, like three things you can count on. Yeah, that's good advice. I mean, especially in, in these you know times that we're all living in where, where, where there is a lot of change and a lot of uncertainty, three things you can count on. Yeah. Well, this has been so interesting, Gail. How can people find out more if they want to go and dive into more information about this? How can they connect with you? Yeah, I my website is a great place or my email. Would you like me to say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, my email is gail, G-A-I-L, at planstoprospercoaching.com. And my website is planstoprospercoaching.com. Awesome. We will put those links also in the description of this episode and in the show notes on the website so people can click them and you know click straight on through on whatever device they're listening on. This has been such a fascinating conversation. Thank you, Gail. And thank you for, I suppose, broadening my mind a little bit because I've, you know, I've learned a bit about personality frameworks, but I didn't know anything about conation. Um, I have heard of the Colby test, but I didn't really understand what it was. So I like that the personality is the what and this is the how, and they're both needed, right? Amen. Yes, Alan, exactly right. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, Gail. Thank you for having me on the show. I loved it. Me too. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher wellbeing and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care.